When Michael and I lived in Australia, early in our marriage, we visited Uluru, the famous sandstone monolith in the red center of the continent. Rising out of the vast plain, Uluru stands tall against the blue Australian sky. The local Aboriginal people do not climb Uluru because of its spiritual significance to them, but there is a footpath worn into one side of Uluru where generations of visitors have climbed to the top. Along the footpath is a chain-link handhold that helps climbers ascend and descend safely. As the hikers climb, they themselves look like links in a chain, one after another, each one following someone and each one leading someone. Charles Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, famously compares the Christian life to a chain. Each of us is an essential link. Each of us links one person to another. Each of us follows the Christian ahead of us, and each of us leads the Christian who is behind us. We are all leaders, whether we lead many or whether we lead one, whether we lead publicly or whether we lead in our family, whether we lead adults or the young. We are all leaders. So it is fitting today to consider the request that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, brought to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Oh, you can just about see Jesus raising one eyebrow at them. Grant us to sit, one at the right and one at the left, in your glory. James and John have been watching Jesus these three years. They see the crowds following and admiring him. They see his influence, and they want it for themselves. They want for themselves the fame, the approval, the admiration, the influence. They want for themselves the privilege that comes with sitting above others. And so they ask, let us sit next to you, Lord, as your most trusted assistant and your closest counselor. You do not know what you are asking, Jesus says to them, but you will indeed drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I receive. And this is the opportune time when Jesus calls all of his disciples to him. He sits down with them and he teaches them what it really means to lead in the kingdom of God. You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, Jesus says, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so with you. Whoever wishes to be first among must be slave of all. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Following Jesus, the disciples were learning, does not allow space to lead 
like rulers of the world lead. There's no space to lord it over those we lead. Rather, true leadership, godly leadership, is found by serving others. So the disciples were to learn, and we are to learn, our power is for the sake of the powerless. Our authority is for the well-being of the vulnerable. Our influence is for the sake of those who are invisible. We are meant to empower the powerless and just like Jesus, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set free the captives, and to raise up to new life. So in our reading from Hebrews today, we learn what this godly leadership looks like. We don't have to look any further than the example of Jesus to see what leadership in God's kingdom looks like. And here's what it looks like for Jesus. First, God the Father called Jesus into his vision. Jesus did not presume to take the honor upon himself, but rather he was appointed by God. Jesus was called to become the Messiah when at his baptism the heavens opened and the voice of the Father descended, saying, You are my Son, and today I have begotten you. We too are called into our most important vocations, our most genuine leadership roles from outside of ourselves. True leaders do not raise themselves into positions of authority. Rather, the call to lead always has an external aspect. There's always a piece of being called by others into the leadership. And so our identities as leaders is a gift. It's a calling that comes from outside of ourselves. Second, leading a group of people into a vision is inevitably going to push up against the community's weaknesses and vulnerabilities. The gifts and the skills that are needed for success will at some point be exactly the gifts and skills that are lacking. And at this point, the leader bears the vulnerability and the weakness of the group on behalf of the group. Jesus was called to bring salvation to the nations. As he, and as he came face to face with the impossibility of that salvation, apart from his own death, he suffered the anguish of carrying the world's fallenness upon his own shoulders. In the days of his flesh, the writer of Hebrews tells us, that is, in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Lord, if you are able, take this cup from me, Jesus cries. But the cup of suffering was not to be taken. However, this suffering proved to be the key to moving through the intractable problem, the impossible brokenness, it was Jesus' suffering that drove him to the breakthrough. 
And the breakthrough wasn't a new technique. It wasn't a new idea. Rather, Jesus in his suffering was driven deeper into the identity that had been given to him in his call. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, the father had said to Jesus at his baptism. In his suffering, Jesus yielded into that identity again. He learned what it meant. He learned what it called from him. And he became obedient to his identity as the Son of God. Third, as Jesus became obedient to the identity his father had given him, Jesus became the leader who was needed for the moment. Jesus' leadership became complete. It was perfected. His calling, his mission, was able to be fulfilled. And Jesus, in obedience to his identity as Son of God, became the source of eternal salvation for the entire world. We do not lead as rulers of this world lead. Rather, Jesus is the model for our leadership, and Jesus calls us to the foot of the cross, where we suffer for the sake of those we lead. Leading means offering ourselves as sacrifice, quietly carrying the vulnerability and the pain of the community so that others can flourish. Leading means bearing weakness so that others can become strong. Well, how do we learn this? And how do we gain the courage to do it? This is what James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were beginning to learn. And it is the maturing that is set before us as well. The call upon us, when we push up against the limits of our community and discover that the gifts and the skills that are needed are exactly those that are lacking, the call upon us is to once again surrender into our own identities as children of God. Our call is to move more deeply into our sonship, into our daughterhood, and to learn that identity which calls us to trust the Father and to stand in his authority rather than our own. Our call is to lay aside leading out of our own power, but rather to turn our eyes to Jesus and take up the things that we have seen him do, to bind up, to set free, to raise up into new life. As we exercise our identities as beloved, we grow into our full stature. We become more perfected. And our leadership comes into its fullness. The completion of our mission is now at hand. And it is in our surrender into our identities as beloved of the Father that we, too, gain the capacity to bind up, to set free, to raise up, we are able to fulfill our purpose 
as we learn to lead like Jesus. And so for James and John, for you, for me, the invitation is to come near Jesus in his kingdom and lead like he does. But it is not for the things of this world that we lead. It is not like the rulers of this world that we lead. Rather, our call like Jesus is to bind up, to set free, to raise up. Our call is to enter into the salvation of the world. And this invites us once again to surrender ourselves at the foot of the cross. Will you join me there? <laughs>